You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Happy Labor Day weekend. I'm so glad you are here on this Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend is usually a weekend where people get outside, but not this weekend. Um, weather has said no to that. I had all sorts of ambitions to be outside, and I'm still trying to squeeze in a fishing trip somehow this weekend, but the weather is just not looking like it's going to go that way. So if you were planning to be camping, and now you're here, I'm just thankful you're here. And I've, uh, I've had this growing conviction even during worship that God's got a word for every single person here this morning. Uh, really, I believe that strongly. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, The Daily Depths. The Daily Depths. And that's because I believe that the goodness of God, as has already been spoken, the good news of Jesus is powerful and effective and translates to the daily depths, the daily grind of our lives. The things that you guys face, the things that I face in this real world out there, the challenges, the trials, the difficulties, the good news of Jesus means something for all that whole spectrum of events and things that come at us in this world. So we're going to continue to look at God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. Our theme passage for the next 10 months is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Paul, he lays out his strategy amongst the Corinthian believers. When I came to, when he says, when I, when I came to you for these two or three years, this is, this, is the way my strat, this is the way I played out my ministry with you. He says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so that you wouldn't trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. When he left the Corinthian believers, he didn't want them to, he, he didn't want them to be left with this um, conviction of Paul as an amazing dude. Wow, that Paul, he was really cool. I loved Jesus when Paul was around. Then after Paul left, it like their faith in God had no root in actual connection with a real, tangible, living God. No, Paul made it very clear. When I, when I leave you, I want there to be this firm foundation, firmly established in real, tangible, life-giving, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our prayer for every single person that steps foot into Ames. In a very transient town, we want every single person to have an encounter with the real God that actually sticks with you for your lifetime. That literally the trajectory and your, your grid work, your framework for viewing this life changes because you encounter God. Real relationship. And so the, the hope that I am going to impart to you today, I'm praying will be extremely practical. And it's in this truth that you can know God. You, you, one of the one of 7.5 billion humans on the earth. You can know the God of the universe, this universe that is still expanding. The God of the, the furthest reaches of the universe and the God of the subatomic world, that God, you can know him. And that message, that central message, Jesus captured, actually in John chapter 17, verse 3. This isn't on the screen. But John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying to his father. And he says, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. As Jesus there is there in prayer, in intercession to his Father, 
and he defined his great mission. He defined what he was going to come and accomplish. He said, Lord, I pray that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He knew that the, the epitome, the essence of what he was coming to accomplish was that, was captured in that. People, humanity, individuals knowing God. And that's a tremendous amount of hope for you and I in our day-to-day lives. The fact that you can know God. You're not alone. No matter what your circumstances tell you, you're not alone. You can know God. I'm a, an avid reader. I love to read. I uh, read a, a book a week at least. And I find that when I get into an author, I, I kind of start reading a bunch of their books in a row. And I, and I specifically, I don't read fiction, okay? That's, that's silliness. It's made up. Nonfiction, though, when I read nonfiction books, I feel like after four or five books, I begin to actually know the author because they've invested so much time and thought philosophically and research to develop those thoughts that after four or five books, I begin to feel like I know the author. But how many of you know in this place that I don't really know the author? Because they don't know me. I know about them. I, I, I know a lot about maybe their philosophies or, way, or ways of seeing the world, but I don't know them. I don't really know them. Growing up, I was a huge sports fan, like all out. All the gear, the memorabilia, the cards, the jerseys. I'd tape the games on VHS tapes, if you remember those. That's right. Now when people like, tell me that they need to really catch a game to watch it on TV, I'm like, you know it's going to be replayed. It, you can watch it again later. It's, you don't have to schedule your whole life around it. Um, but we had that, VHS tapes. And I remember when I was a kid, my favorite player was a, an NBA player named Chris Webber. So you've never probably heard of Chris Webber. Um, but Chris Webber, he played for the Washington Bullets. I don't know why I picked him as my guy, but I loved him. And uh, the Washington Bullets is not even a team anymore. Um, but the Washington Bullets, they were actually coming to my hometown to play an exhibition game, a preseason game. And so here I was as a kid, I was pumped. The Minnesota Timberwolves were going to play the, were going to play the Washington Bullets in my hometown, and Chris Webber was going to be there. I was so stoked. And my dad got us tickets. So we were pumped to go to the game. But a couple days before the game, my dad called me into his room. He sat me down on the bed, and he had a, a tough heart-to-heart with me. He said, Drew, Chris Webber is actually injured. And since it's an exhibition game, he's not even going to be at the game at all. He's not even going to be there. So it's not even like I'd catch a glimpse of him from afar. It's like he wasn't even going to be there. And my response, I didn't just take it in stride. I just broke down bawling. That's right. I'll admit it. I did. I just bawled there on his bedside. I was devastated. But it doesn't matter how much of an avid fan, a fanatical fan I am of somebody, a follower of somebody. How many of you know that Chris Webber does not know me? He did not know me. I'm a nobody in Chris Weber's mind. And I feel like so many people, they keep a distance from God because they feel like that's all they can attain in God is this kind of elite fan, uh, fanatical fan status. I can know a lot about him. I can busy myself with godly things. But relationship with God? No way. I want to tell you, I want to speak this message of hope to your daily life that you can know God. doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your education is, what your status in this world is, you can know God. It's actually the great separator of those that are in the kingdom and those that are outside of the kingdom. Jesus reiterated what he said in, in John chapter 17, that verse I quoted earlier. 
He defined what he was going to come and accomplish. This is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Well, he reiterated that in Matthew chapter 7. He says, at the end of the age, some are going to come to me. And they're going to say, hey, God, didn't we do all these amazing things in your name? Didn't we do amazing miracles? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And this is what Jesus will say, say to them. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that's the word he uses. I never knew you. You can be the biggest fan of God. And I feel like so many people keep a distance from Christianity. They keep it in a, a box in their life because they think that's really all it is, is maybe fanhood. Oh, that's not what Jesus gave his life for. It's for relationship. He reiterates it again in Matthew chapter 25. He tells this parable of the 10 bridesmaids. He says, believe me, for I don't know you. That's what he tells the foolish bridesmaids. I don't know you. He doesn't recognize them. He doesn't, I don't have a relationship with you. So like, just like I illustrated earlier with our, um, our, our following of public figures, real relationship is two-way, am I right? It's not knowledge about from a distance, but it's two-way. It's interactive. So I want to break this down for you this morning. The fact that God is actually invited you into two-way relationship with, with himself, through his son, Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the foundation that Paul was meaning to establish with the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, with, with, with this foundation of real power encounter with God, so it would be real relationship. And that's and it's what starts us, is what sustains us. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, yet, yet when I am among mature believers, I do not speak words of wisdom. Or sorry, I do speak words of wisdom. So earlier he was saying, when I started my ministry with you, I didn't speak words of wisdom or clever speeches, but instead I wanted you to encounter the power of God. Now he's saying, I do speak words of wisdom with those that are mature in the Lord, but still, it's not the wisdom of this world. So, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world, to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined, but God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. And we'll stop right there for a moment. Our main idea for this morning is this, that knowing God starts by hearing. Knowing God starts by hearing. What I'm talking about this morning is not so much hearing with our physical ears. I've served the Lord now for 20 years. I've never heard the audible voice of God. But there is a heart posture that is first and foremost important in our relationship with God. And I would go as far as to say this, that the most important word in, in the Gospels, in, re, in relation to our relationship with God, is the word here. H-E-A-R. Here. This ability given by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, to be able to hear. Our spiritual ears are awakened to hear that God has a good message for our lives. So knowing God in this two-way relationship starts by hearing. It's actually Jesus himself that uses that word here 104 times. 
in the Gospels, 104 times, and it's usually in this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what Jesus would say to the crowds. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you think he was mocking deaf people? No. He's saying those who have spiritual ears to hear, let them hear. I am convinced that many people come to church, not, maybe not our church, but lots of churches, and they sit week after week, but they never once open up their spiritual ears to hear truth that actually changes the trajectory of their lives, that actually translates to their life Monday through Saturday. So day after day, Jesus would say, he who has ears, let him hear. And that was actually his strategy. He revealed his strategy for why he used parables. The reason he told all these little short stories is because he knew those who had these hard hearts, they were really deaf to hear the, 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 uh, powerful, the powerful point of his parables. They wouldn't have the spiritual ears to hear it. What's so powerful about parables is the youngest among, amongst us can hear them. They can understand them. They can be discerning if they have the humble hearts to receive them, and the oldest can. They're, they're regardless of our uh, academic uh, ability or where we come from. They're powerful, and Jesus reveals that strategy. So I would say to hear with our spiritual ears is the most important word in the Gospels in relation to our relationship with God. And so first and foremost, hearing means this. I want to just break this down because some of you may be wondering, does that mean I'm always going to be hearing from God all the time, 24 hours a day? I'm not talking about hearing the clear voice of God continually. That is possible in Jesus. I'm going to talk about that. But I'm talking about a heart posture to hear truth that means something for your life. And hearing first and foremost means this, that we recognize Jesus. Because the great delineator between those that those that followed Jesus and those that didn't, is that those that followed him had the, a humble heart to say, he is Messiah, he is Savior. I need a Savior, I need a Messiah. Where the other ones that didn't follow him, they ended up crucifying him. They didn't recognize him because their hearts were hard. They weren't looking for a personal Savior. The religious leaders, they were looking for an institutional Savior, for a, a national Savior, a political Savior, they weren't looking for a personal savior. So first and foremost, we have to recognize Jesus, which means that we recognize our need for a savior. We rec recognize our dependence on God as an outside power in our lives that we desperately need. Verse eight, Paul said, but the rulers of this world did not, or the, world, the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord the rulers didn't understand it. It's not that they all didn't understand it. There's the story of Nicodemus, who was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. But his heart, his, his spiritual ears were open to a degree that he would come and find Jesus in the night. In John chapter 3, he came and found Jesus. He did care about what his friends thought, but he, but he sought Jesus out in the night. He said, Jesus, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? No one's going to enter my kingdom unless he's born again. So Jesus tells him to Nicodemus, this one who actually had ears to hear, as Jesus cried that, has said that time and time again. I wonder what the Pharisees, what they thought when Jesus continually said that. They probably heard that well over a hundred times. He who has ears, let him hear. They're probably like, why does he keep saying that? Like, we, we hear you. You're a very loud man. You can, you can preach to thousands at, at one time. We can hear you. Um, 
but they didn't get it. Their hearts were not in a place to actually hear him. And here's a real, really vivid example in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, there's this story of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was the forerunner, the, um, the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. He was now in prison. And there he is in prison, and he's wondering about his cousin Jesus. Like, is he really? Like, I played games with him. I ran around with him. He seemed like a normal dude. Is he really the Messiah? So that's what he's thinking in jail. So he sends some of his followers to go and ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? John, cousin John is wondering that. Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus turns to them and says, well, go and tell them what's happening. I'm healing the blind. I'm setting, setting the demon possessed free. I'm declaring the kingdom of God. But then he, this is what Jesus says, an indictment of that generation, really. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says it again. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Jesus, very poetically, says essentially, like, I am making it as clear as possible. I'm singing a song and they're not dancing. I'm singing a sad song, a funeral song, and they're not mourning. Their hearts are that hard. He even starts that, that, um, powerful description by saying he was ears let him hear that's that's the really defining moment is when we have ears to recognize ears to hear and recognize that jesus he's the answer he is the solution he's the way so i pray this morning that you would have ears to hear and recognize jesus he's the one your soul is longing for I know the discontentments in my own heart, my own soul, and my short life on this earth. And continually I thirst and long for something. And when I come to Jesus and I recognize Jesus, the great thirst quencher, the great one who, who fills the hungers in my heart, I'm satisfied. So let's keep reading here. In I didn't do a very good job of your teaching this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he does say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine. That's without the Spirit of God, that's without the grace of God, because then look at the next verse, verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. So we would never be able to hear the truth of God's goodness it was, if it wasn't for the goodness of His Spirit. It comes and softens our hearts from our own stubbornness, our own rebellion. And for a moment, we catch a glimpse of Jesus. And say, perhaps... His grace is for me. Perhaps his mercy is for me. Sorry, I didn't unpack that. At, at first glance, that verse, verse 9, can maybe seem a little hopeless. But actually, in the day and age in which we live, because the Spirit of God is at work, we can see, we can hear, we can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's really good news. And we're going to continue to unpack that here. In verse 10, it says, For his Spirit searches out everything, and shows us God's deep secrets. Okay, that is not an intro for your next book about decoding the Bible and trying to predict some deep secret hidden, locked within the confines of Scripture. That's not what he's talking about. The deep secrets of God are the inexhaustible truth of God's Word applied to your daily life, day in and day out. That's why I call it the daily depths. It's like right when you think that you got life figured out, something else happens. 
And the beautiful thing about relationship with God is when you learn to depend on him, you'll realize that the truth of who he is, the truth of the message that he brought is relevant to each and every one of those things. And that's the deep secrets. When you get away to the secret place and all of a sudden it makes sense. Clarity is brought. Your heart is in a soft enough place to receive something that means something for your life in that moment. So don't go and write a book, please. No more of those books. No one can know a person's thoughts except that, per that person's own spirit. He's talking about who we really are as humans. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And here's the beautiful intimacy of relationship with God. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. The most, like, defining element of who we are as humans is our spirits, what he says there. And, and the, the oneness of relationship with God is that his spirit comes and actually gives life to our spirit. He comes and takes up residence in us. So secondly, hearing means we, be, we begin to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit wants to lead you into all truth on a day-to-day -day basis. He wants to speak to you. So the question is, are you acknowledging his presence and his work in your life? Jesus was really stoked to actually say mission complete. After he gave his life and after he rose to dead, he said, I can't wait to leave. It's going to be better for you as followers after I leave. Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. So I want you to acknowledge that. Begin to say, Holy Spirit lives in me. If you've acknowledged Jesus as Savior... Begin to proclaim that of your life. Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in you. As you begin to say those words, Holy Spirit lives in me, you'll begin to recognize that he's leading you. He'll drop a thought into your mind. It's probably directly from scripture. If not from that, it's probably from a follower of Jesus that you know that spoke a truth in your life at some point and God brings it to remembrance in that moment. Or maybe he'll just he'll really just impart to you a divine wisdom that you have no idea where it came from, but it actually gives you clarity to move forward with boldness and with confidence. Hearing means we begin to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. It's beautiful. We've received God's Spirit. It's not a spirit of this world. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. I have found that a major part of my relationship with God is simply daily on a daily basis, coming into a, a deeper knowledge and discovering what he's already given us. That's a huge part of my relationship with him. He's given you an inheritance. And later in a different letter, Paul describes about how the, the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of, inside of us is like a, a deposit of what is yet to come. So a huge part of our relationship with God is us just discovering what he's already given us. But that takes you and I having a heart posture, spiritual ears, to hear from him. We are stubborn beings. We can humble ourselves in one moment, and the next moment we get up and we think we can do it all on our own. We can do it by ourselves. Me and my wife have been having this conversation lately about our kids, because we're realizing how um, innate it is in children to have selective hearing. Am I right? <laughs> it's like, hey, can you guys go get your shoes on, please? You say things really nice, you know, and hey, can you guys go wash your hands? Can, can you stop being mean to your sister? And it's like, they don't hear. 
But I, I promise you, if I walked into our living room with a box of donuts, I could whisper, I have donuts, and they'd all be flying. They'd all hear it. Magically, they'd all hear it. It's selective hearing. And how often in our relationship with God do we have selective hearing? It's like, I got this. I'm good. Like, I don't want to be disrupted. I don't want to be disturbed. I'm, I'm doing my thing, God. He says God's spirit lives in us so we can know the wonderful things he's freely given us as sons and daughters. He wants to show you the deep secrets, but you have to have a heart posture. You have to have spiritual ears to hear what he's saying to you. And when that begins to happen, when you, when you begin, begin to take God at his word, that his spirit lives in you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that his spirit lives in you, you begin to take him at his word, that's when the word of God begins to come alive. The, the writer of Hebrews says this word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. That sounds fierce. That sounds, that sounds powerful for our lives. But that's, that's the deep secrets when a book can be inexhaustible over a lifetime. I love sitting and talking to saints, many in this church, who've walked with God for decades, and yet they pull me over to their side and they show me, just last week, a, a saint in the Lord was showing me a passage in Psalms of something that just jumped off the pages and meant something for their life and actually their grandkids. I love it. Hearing means we begin to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. You begin to speak that over your life. Let's finish this chapter here, verse 13. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. His strategy has been the same. He didn't want them to trust in human wisdom. He wanted them to trust in the power of God. So it's the same. It's, it's just he's elaborating on what now wisdom in the kingdom of God is. It's not a dumbed-down Christianity. When I talk about not using persuasive and clever speeches, but yet having the power of God doesn't mean we, we, we have a dumbed-down um, religion or dumbed-down faith. It's just a different type of wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. The people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Can I tell you, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. And it could sound like Paul was speaking in pride in that passage. Essentially, we're talking of spiritual things, so those who are unspiritual can't discern them, they can't understand. He's not speaking pridefully, he's just saying it like it is. And Jesus himself said it like it was. If our hearts are so hardened to God, we'll never hear truth. So that, that, that's spiritual truths. We're unspiritual in that moment. So he says those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. He's not saying that we are outside of accountability in the body of Christ. No, no, no. We walk in submission to one another in the body of Christ. He's saying we cannot be evaluated by those who are unspiritual. Those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them, they live on a different plane. And that's not speaking down at them. That's just a reality of understanding our grid work in our existence as humans. When you come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, a whole new purpose of living and grid work of values comes alive. And what used to be three dimensions is a whole other number of dimensions in Christ 
that comes alive to us in relationship with God. So I would say like this, that hearing means we began to really live. It means we really begin to live. The abundant life that Jesus came to give to us, we can begin to experience that in the daily depths of life because you have the mind of Christ. I would encourage you over the next seven days to even say that to yourself. I have the mind of Christ. Just claim that over your life. Drive down the road, you're driving to class, you're driving to work, I have the mind of Christ. You may not believe it the first six times. Maybe by the seventh time around the city you will believe it. You have the mind of Christ. Oh, that we would have ears to hear what he is speaking to us. He spoke earlier of the intimacy of our spiritual beings and how the spirit of God comes and actually takes up residence in the most intimate part of who we are. And it's that part that begins to be activated. We, we can begin to actually have a relationship with God because you have the mind of Christ. I liken it to radio waves. You know, there's radio waves all over this place right now. But you have to have the right device, the right uh, equipment to pick up on it. And you have to have the desire to want to hear, right? What's on the certain frequencies in a given moment. I would say in our noisy, noisy world, oftentimes we don't take the, the two seconds to put up our antenna and listen for what God is saying. You have the mind of Christ meaning he's always ready to speak, to lead, to impart, to grant peace, to give you assurance of his presence in a moment. You have the mind of Christ. But are you willing to stop? I, I, I'm not fearful of this generation, but I do like to raise awareness of the level of noise that we have going on in our world around us. We are inundated with noise. I find it, even for myself, how quickly I turn, as soon as I get in my car, how quickly I turn to throw on the next podcast or to have noise going. Or how often I'm in my kitchen doing the dishes and I call out for Alexa to, to uh, put on some music, you know? That's not my personal system, that's my uh, little Amazon device, you know? So. It's not, not my wife's name either. I do, I do not command my wife to do those things. <laughs> I think you can rename Alexa, I think so, but I'm not going to do that to my wife's name. Um, but how quickly do we, do we quickly just fill our lives with noise? How often do we do that? We just turn YouTube on continually to play, turn music, turn the next preacher on, turn the next TV show on. What would it look like if we took a few extra moments to quiet ourselves? Say, God, what do you have to say to me right now? I have the mind of Christ. And see what he would impart to your heart. See what he would bring into your mind. I want to champion my kids in that. My kids don't know anything than what they've experienced in the last number of years on this human planet. But I want to champion my kids in this generation to hear from God, to have real, vibrant relationship with God. That means me stopping. Instead of Googling something, we say, hey, let's, let's ask God about that. Let's pray about that right now. Let's just see what God would have to say to us. I love what's happening right now downstairs with, uh, with our Kids Point, specifically the clubhouse. Our children's director is the best of the best. Her name is Nicole Gilson. If you don't know her, you should know her. She's amazing. And Nicole, every single Sunday, she takes time, a number of minutes, 
in their Sunday morning uh, service to do what they call encounter time, which sounds amazing. But it's simply just this quiet time that she gifts to the kids. It's a gift to them in this loud, loud generation. It's not, not, not no pressure. It's not uh, hyper-spiritual. It's simply a quiet time for them to hear from God. And it's amazing the things that our kids hear from the Lord. It's amazing. Hearing means we begin to really live. And there's this new joy and vibrancy to our life that that imparts to it when we just begin to hear. So I want to end with this. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. Jesus, after his death, after his resurrection, and after even after his ascension into heaven, he then has a grand appearance to the Apostle John. And this is what, he's still saying the same thing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is what he says in Revelation chapter 3. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking in your life. Interestingly enough, that passage, he's speaking to the churches. We often quote that passage to those that are not believers, but he's actually saying he's trying to get the attention of believers so we can wake up and represent Jesus really well in this world. But have we hardened our hearts to God? Maybe you recognize Jesus as Savior, but maybe we haven't been acknowledging him as any more than that, as the indwelling spirit, as the one who now gives us a new way to see the world through the mind of Christ. Anyone who has ears must listen. A couple years ago, me and my wife, we had to replace our doorbell, and so we had to go fancy with it and buy this wireless one. And um, instead of just wiring up an old-fashioned uh, doorbell, we got a wireless one that was battery-powered, but you could turn it off when you wanted to. <laughs> and so we had just had a baby, our, our fourth-born, uh, Quinn. She's amazing, Quinn Avery. She's now two. She was a baby, so there was a moment, I can't remember why exactly, but we wanted to turn it off so she wouldn't be woken up from a, from a sleep. So we turned it off, and we forgot to turn it back on. So we went actually for two whole weeks with our doorbell off, and it came after two weeks, we had caught wind from a couple different people that they had rang our door, doorbell, but we, but we never answered. We were home, but we didn't answer. And I kind of wonder, in our world, maybe we accept Jesus as Savior. We can accept him as Messiah and Lord in our lives in that way, on a certain intellectual level. But beyond that, maybe we've turned the doorbell off. We don't allow him, the ears of our heart, our spiritual ears to hear any more from him. And just imagine Jesus standing at your door. For me, he's ringing the doorbell. But I'm not hearing it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God wants to open up our ears to hear from him in real, vibrant, daily relationship that means something for the daily depths of your life. If you bow your heads and close your eyes in this place, we're going to respond to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, 
please visit www.livethemessage.org.